afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Notre Dame Stadium. Zivikowski trying to get to the outside. He has blockers in front. Time for Zivikowski. Belong to beat. Shakes it off. To the five and touchdown. And now it is down. It is over. And the Irish have knocked off number one Clemson. Brady Quinn looking. Pump fakes. He rolls to the near side. Throws it. It's caught by Samaja. Inside the 20. Inside the 10. He's going in. Notre Dame has scored. Jones is the back. He's got it again. And Jones a letter room. Tony Jones makes a cut. Gets a block. And scores. Is that the play that will seal the playoff bid for Fighting Irish? What's up? Welcome to Sons of Saturday. I'm Tyler Rojack. Luke Smith is here with me as always. And in just a few minutes, we're going to be joined by Jack Collinsworth, the new play-by-play announcer for Notre Dame home games on NBC. We covered a lot with Jack, including how surreal it was for him when he found out he got the job, what he's learned from Mike Tirico, and how he's been gearing up for the upcoming season. We had a lot of fun doing it, and I hope you guys enjoy it as well. Uh, Before we get into our interview, though, we ask that you please like and subscribe this video below if you're watching on YouTube. And if you're listening to the podcast, rate and subscribe there as well. This episode is sponsored by Haas Company, a lifestyle brand that's about being the best version of yourself. Be the Haas. Check out their website at bethehaas.com and use promo code SUNS for 15% off on your next order. This episode is also supported by Roback. Shop game-changing activewear with Roback for those who crave activity. We highly encourage you to check out their new polo called the Shamrock. The Shamrock is the perfect men's performance polo for Irish fans everywhere. And you can use the promo code SUNSND on Roback.com. That's R-H-O-B-A-C-K.com for 20% off your next order in the entire store. Okay, let's get to our conversation with the new voice of Notre Dame football. We're joined now by Jack Collinsworth, the new play-by-play announcer for Notre Dame football and NBC. Jack, thanks so much for taking the time before the season gets rolling here. We're really excited to have you on, and your move to the booth has been rumored for a while now, but now it's official. How does it feel? It's pretty hard to explain how it feels. I, I, I think you, you usually know what's coming before the world does, and so you try to prepare for that wave of the world knowing, but really my focus a while ago shifted to the work you know, and getting ready. And that goes back to the USFL days and trying to prepare big picture for this role and now building the board, going player by player through the roster and getting an understanding of who this team is going to be. Uh, but I, I tend to love that part, you know, when, when you can just flip the switch and go to work that sort of calms all the nerves and gets you ready to go. Could you take us through the process from when you first found out, hey, this this might be a possibility, to the moment that you got the job? I figured Mike Tirico would just do it forever, right? Like everybody else. I was like, you know, he'll call Sunday night, but he'll probably do Notre Dame still as well. And and once you heard that he was really just going to be focusing on Sunday night football, you realize there's an opportunity. And and already been a part of the broadcast for a couple of years in that pregame halftime role. And really going back to even being at Notre Dame for four years, I worked on those broadcasts as an intern, getting coffee, getting a snack, getting lunch, getting dinner, whatever it was. But understanding the team flow and the workflow and being calm in the madness, right? I mean, when that stadium's rocking, we all know what that feels like, but really steadying yourself and calming yourself and uh, living within that team goes all the way back to when I first got to Notre Dame. So I think you lean on all those experiences. You lean on Mike Tirico and his coaching, and he gives you some pointers that only Tirico can give you. I mean, it's just inside 
broadcasting kind of stuff. And he's willing to sit down with you and give you notes and watch a broadcast back and go, hey, what if you tried this? And what if you did this? And every time he's right. Uh, so I think you lean on those experiences. But more than anything, I became obsessed with play by play. Uh, it was just it's so live and in the moment and reactive. And you lean on everything you studied throughout the course of the week. But the game is the star and being able to just keep the focus on the game and rise to big plays. There's something really addicting about it. Uh, and the USFL really gave us a chance to go do it. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned there, you've already had a lot of different roles in your broadcasting career and as well as just during Notre Dame uh, broadcasts on NBC. I'm curious, and maybe it's that sort of addictive feeling you just mentioned, but what is it about being in the booth and calling games that most interests you? It's completely different. I, that's that's the first thing that you realize. And I've called baseball games and basketball games. And then we started calling football games. And, and we did it for a long time in the studio doing demo games. We did old Notre Dame games. We did NFL games. And Coach Garrett and I called the Super Bowl going back to last year. So we had just done a million different games. And the number one thing you realize is that you can't script anything. And I think that's the part of it that I love, right? Is it nothing about it scripted? There's not a bunch of ideas. What if we worded it this way and said it that way? It's like, no, forget that. You just go be you. Uh, and I think the biggest realization from my standpoint is if I go try to be Mike Tirico, I'm going to fail. There's no way I can go try to be Mike Tirico Jr. I got to go do this thing as me. Uh, and I, I know Notre Dame. I went there. I've lived there. And I can remember back to where my brother was playing on the team and I had a ticket to go watch him play and I'm smiling ear to ear for four quarters, just being able to be in that stadium. Uh, so now to be up in the booth, the responsibility, the opportunity, uh, I, I really understand what it is and, and I'm going to go attack this thing. So as you kind of recognize there, you are replacing a legend in Mike Tirico. It sounds like you have sort of a relationship with him. Have you had any conversations with him about taking over as the voice for Notre Dame football? And if so, what advice did he give you? Had a bunch. I, I think we talk so much that it's hard to pinpoint it to one conversation. Hey, this is the moment. You know, I mean, he, he sort of coached all the way through the USFL stuff. And he's we've done the Indy 500 together. We did all the Notre Dame broadcasts together. Dude, Sunday night football. And we work on football night in America together. So the relationship is already so strong. And, and he's one of those guys. I mean, he's like a robot. His ability to be able to do this show and that show and this sport and that sport but also keep that human side and, and have time for everybody. Hey, I, I noticed that maybe if you tried this or maybe if you, and he does it in rehearsal. I mean, we'll, we'll rehearse something, you know, get ready for a Notre Dame game and he'll get, what, what if you tried this? Or what, this is just a thought I had listening to your rehearsal. I'm like, that's damn good. I think I'm going to go try that. So the relationship really is a million different points going back to ACC network and NFL live and my ESPN days uh, that we could always relate on. So it's not like it's one conversation. It's just so many, um, but the relationship's great. Yeah. And pretty much every single person we've heard talk about uh, Mike Tirico and their working relationship with him has basically been the same thing. He's just like top of the industry, just pure class. He's great. So tough to see him go, but excited to have you on. Uh, speaking of broadcasting legends, though, your dad is a legend at the very top of the profession. He's one hell of a football player, too. How has he influenced you as a broadcaster? Now, are there any lessons he's given you that you could share with us? That's a, that's a similar one where, I mean, it goes back and, and probably the first time I got into broadcasting, I was, you know, seventh or eighth grade and we would do the live announcements every single day. And I thought at that time I wanted to be a producer. Really, I thought I wanted to be a cameraman. 
And then I wanted to be a producer. I fell in love with editing and putting together videos. And then part of a rotation, they made everybody go in front of the camera and try hosting the live announcements. It's all your friends watching, all your teachers, everybody. I'm like, no chance. I don't want to go do all that. Uh, but you sort of got the nerves out of yourself in high school. You know, the first five broadcasts, you wanted to go puke. And sometimes I didn't go puke. I go to the bathroom and I'd come back and I'd be right back and I'd be ready to go. But just getting that out in high school, by the time I got to Notre Dame, I felt comfortable. Uh, and I always wanted to cover Notre Dame football. So I think his advice was, if you love football, keep pursuing football. Like if football is what you want to cover, keep pursuing that. Uh, but he was really great at teaching me how to ask great questions and how to get out of other people's way and, and make them the star. Uh, and that's really where TV becomes fun. And when I couldn't play football anymore, I wanted to be a part of a team. And, and that's something that I think the best moments in life come from sharing them with teammates and dinners before the broadcast and maybe having a beer after the broadcast and breaking down some of our favorite stories. So he always just cultivated, make sure that you are a, a key part of a team. You are somebody who's looking to help your teammates. Uh, and that's something that I try to do every day. Now, an unfortunate consequence of being the son of an icon in the same career field as you is the accusations of nepotism. Now, I feel confident in saying that any rational person who has ever watched or listened to your work knows that you're extremely talented, and you didn't get to this point just because of your last name. But as you know, some people are going to draw their own conclusions, whether it's right or wrong. So how do you deal with that when you come across it? Well, it's, it's all part of it. It's part of the process, and it's been part of the process my whole life. You know, it's, it's just something that you deal with. If you're playing receiver, it's like, oh, it's because his dad, that's why he got in the game at receiver. If you're going to, it's like, oh, because his dad, that's why he's going to Notre Dame. Or even when I got a job at ESPN, which he's never worked at ESPN, has no affiliation at ESPN. It's like, oh, because of who his dad is, he's got the job at ESPN. But for me, it was always about what am I going to do, right? Once I get in there, who am I going to be? How am I going to operate? How am I going to work? When people talk about working with Jack, What's the story that they tell? And uh, and I just wanted to be early. I wanted to stay late. I wanted to watch the broadcast back. I wanted to have notes. I wanted to be extremely critical of myself. Uh, and I think that's something that even from the first chance of hosting NFL Live, which was probably my first real opportunity, was just studying every detail of a broadcast, how we wrote it, how we threw the commercial break, how we came out of commercial break, how it felt, the tone of my voice, all those things. And I think when you're a real student and you critique yourself harder than anybody else, uh, people start to notice that. And that's who I've been in this business. And believe me, it's only getting turned up as the years go by. Your dad went to Florida, but both you and your brother ended up in Notre Dame. So clearly the university left an impression on you and your family. What yep. made you decide that Notre Dame was the place for you when it came time to pick a school? <sighs> Brother's a big part of it. He's really a big part of it. Um, Northwestern was very high on my list, that Medill School of Journalism that they have up there. You tour it and you go, oh, this looks just like our high school. I mean, it was like it, it just felt really natural being there. Uh, but Notre Dame was an opportunity and probably something that Jack Swarbrick said that really resonated was you get a chance to cover Notre Dame football. Uh, and you can go cover Northwestern football, you cover Notre Dame football. Uh, and just think about that. Uh, and so a conversation with Swarbrick really hit me. Um, when it came to decision time, but also just thinking about getting to live with my brother for a year, wound up being two years because he did the NBA program. We've been best friends forever. So those are still my favorite stories from being up there. Now you're going to be in the interesting position of calling games for your alma mater 
on a major broadcast network. On one hand, it's your team, and it's their exclusive network, for, for now at least, until the Big Ten comes along to NBC. But you also have a responsibility as the play-by-play announcer to be neutral, despite uh, what some fans might think, because it's not just Notre Dame fans watching. How do you plan on balancing your responsibilities to be impartial with the expectations from Notre Dame fans to lean towards their team and your team too? When you're up there, you're a broadcaster uh, and you understand that. I mean, you're telling the stories of young men from both teams, coaches from both teams, uh, and you get so invested. You're meeting with the other team all week long too. You're meeting with Notre Dame. You're meeting with the other team. You're studying the other team. You're watching all these clips from all of last year on this team and reading all their stories. So you become invested in the opponent, too. And I think that's a big part of it. Uh, But understanding that big plays are going to be celebrated, right? I mean, it doesn't matter if Marshall scores a touchdown, Notre Dame scores a touchdown, Marshall forces a fumble. I mean, you have to rise to those moments. And if you don't, it's going to be a bad broadcast. And it's not going to be a fun broadcast to watch for anybody. I mean, you got Marshall fans watching. You're going to have Clemson fans watching those Clemson games, right? So I think you understand that. But it's not my first day in the business, you know, and it's not my first day doing a Notre Dame game either. So I understand where everyone's going to be and how people are going to feel. But at the end of the day, I got a job to do uh, and I'm going to do my job. With that said, do you feel that there's any comfort or advantage to calling games for a program that you've been so closely tied with for some time now, both through attending Notre Dame and your presence on the broadcast over the last several years on NBC? I would say definitely just because Notre Dame is a one of one place in my mind, you know, I mean, I've covered did the ACC network and I've been to all those schools and understand what that is and grew up around the SEC, understand what that is. I mean, there's no place in college football that, that compares in my mind to Notre Dame. So just having a sense of, of the values and what Notre Dame tries to build and instill. And I think the program is a lot bigger than just football. I mean, the four for 40 thing. I mean, I watch it play out on a daily basis with my brother and his career and, myself and my career, I, I understand what it is and uh, in the campus and how it intermixes with faith uh, is a big thing. So I'm really grateful that I had four years to learn and understand exactly what Notre Dame is and then come back as an adult where after a couple of years working at ESPN, a few years working at ESPN, and then get to kind of get your grad degree underneath Mike Tirico and how he presented Notre Dame football. Uh, and now there's nowhere else I'd rather be, man. There's no no other job I'd rather have. I think it's the greatest job in America in a lot of ways to sit up in that booth and touch down Jesus on your left, the 50-yard line, Freeman taking over in year number one. He's a Cincinnati guy, so I know all about him. Uh, there's no job I'd rather have and no better time to take this job in my mind. Let's talk about your partner in the booth, former Cowboys head coach Jason Garrett. Yeah. We know you yeah. and Jason have some experience. You mentioned it, working together for some USFL games this past spring. What were you two able to gain from that experience? I would say that we gained a lot of chemistry. Um, and, and probably most of that comes from getting dinners and stuff. I mean, and we would always prioritize that. If we got to town, we'd go do our work and we'd go to our rooms and we'd, you know, we'd get ready for the game. But then we'd always get together for an hour and, and have dinner, right? Uh, and tell a few stories and understand his cowboy days as a player and winning Super Bowls and then understanding his transition into being an offensive coordinator and then a head coach and running that program. I think probably what stands out most about Coach Garrett is he just has so much humility um, and he's held some crazy high positions, but he's constantly curious and he wants to ask a good question and know what you know or what you know or how does that come into this? And, you know, we got dinner with the director of recruiting, Chad Bowden, and a bunch of 
members of the coaching staff. And he's always just inquisitive. Uh, he never views himself as a finished product and, and he's very likable on air. And, and I think a lot of Notre Dame fans, as the year goes on, it feels like season two. We already called, you know, the whole USFL season together in the playoff game too. We know each other really well, but I think a lot of fans are really going to like Jason Garrett as they get to know him. Jason's been around the game of football for a really long time, has a really impressive resume. As you mentioned, won two Super Bowls as a player. Anyone NFL Coach of the Year in 2016 as head coach of the Dallas Cowboys. What have you learned from him about the game of football from your brief time working together? A ton, a ton. I think probably my favorite part about being around is he can speak as a quarterback, right? And he backed up Troy Aikman during all those great Cowboy teams. Uh, and I think probably that's where he understood to be a supportive teammate. You know what I mean? To be, he was constantly in support of everything that Aikman needed. And that probably developed who he became as a coach uh, and, and being a humble coach. He doesn't have all the answers, right? But he is going to use all those experiences to put you in the right position. And probably offensive side of the football is what I've learned most from him. Particular quarterback play uh, and what the quarterback sees. Uh, and then on top of that, how many other parts have to happen for a play to be successful? You can have the best quarterback in the world, but if you have no time, as Notre Dame fans learned last year, you can't even give an evaluation on quarterback play, right? So understanding the pieces of how important that left tackle is, and if you have a deficiency there, how everything else has to change. Now that ball's got to come out lightning quick, or you got to throw the tight end over there. You got to throw the running back. You got to send other resources that direction. Uh, so just understanding the quarterback position and then how all the other pieces affect it is something that he'll teach very well in the booth. All right, we got to ask. You've been around the team a little bit. You've done some preparation. Uh, what are your expectations for the Irish this fall? I think they're going to be really good. I do. I think that defense is going to be rock solid. Uh, it's a team that's built offensive line and defensive line. Those would be the two strengths that I would point to. A couple NFL offensive tackles, I think, and maybe even first-round picks and Blake Fisher and Joe Alton. The defensive line is just deep. It's got experience and depth. Uh, the linebacker core is so much experience. You start watching, it's like, God, I feel like I've been watching these guys for eight years, and they're all coming back, right? I think Foskey will be the star, but I think you'll see some others develop. Riley Mills is somebody that keeps catching my eyes. I've been going back and watching some of last season. He, play, he can play on the inside and stop the run. He can play on the outside and stop the run. And he can rush the passer from both spots. Not many human beings that look like him can do all those things. So he's another potential NFL one for me. Uh, Tobias Merriweather, the receiver, really caught my attention being up there. He's a true freshman. Uh, my guess is you're going to see him. He's going to play. That's a thin position for them. And Tommy Reese we is going to have to get creative. <laughs> he's going to really have to get creative. Uh, Lorenzo Styles is going to have to be a star. I mean, he's going to have to be everything they hope and dream of uh, if that receiver room is going to work. And then Braden Lindsay, talking to him, I think he a lot left to be desired uh, from a season ago. I think he still feels like he had that hamstring injury, but he still feels like there's another level, if not another couple levels, that his game can go. So keeping a close eye on the receiver room, understanding that Tyler Buckner has to step into, as Coach Kelly would say, the bright lights of Broadway. And there's only one way to figure out if he has what it takes. You got to take him to Broadway. Uh, and so he's going to go to Broadway week number one at Ohio State. I think we're all going to learn a lot. Touched on this earlier, but what was it like for you working the Super Bowl this past year? Pretty surreal, man. Pretty surreal. Um, 
sort of just waking up that day. It, it was a, a frame of mind that I can't really remember ever being in a level of sort of focus and just, just so singularly focused on it's a whole week of preparation. It's similar for broadcasters. as It is for players. There's all these rehearsals and it's a long week leading up to it. And then that show day, you're waking up very early in the morning and you know, going to bed when the sun's still out so that you can wake up and have energy. But just I can't remember a day where I was so singularly focused. And it's the Cincinnati Bengals, a team that I grew up watching in L.A., a place where I have a home out there. Uh, my brother lives out there as well. So it was sort of split between these two. I knew so many players and coaches on both sides. So it was so close to home. Um, and I thought the Bengals were going to win it for about three and a half quarters. So the whole day, it was my birthday, too. So it's just this whirlwind day that yeah, you had a lot uh, going on that day. <laughs> a lot going on. I can't remember another day of my life. Yeah. It was like, to be honest with if you, if there's so another one, good. I mean, I can't even imagine what that would look like. Yeah. I mean, there was one moment from the day when uh, we're doing, we just finished one of the segments and Rodney Harrison with Rodney. And I looked to my left. I'm like, who's that? It's Jay Z walks up and he's saying hi to Rodney, and he's like sort of starstruck by Rodney Harrison, right? Like you tell how much respect he had for Rodney's game. Uh, and then I looked down and looking up at me with just like, whoa, she couldn't believe that she's on the field. Like, I'm like, who's that? And it's Blue Ivy, Jay-Z's daughter. So it was one of those days where it's like, man, is this real life or what? But you're also working on one of the most pivotal days of your career. So you have to block all that stuff out and hone in. So it's just really unique. Would you say that's like the most memorable event from covering it that day? Definitely. Definitely. I would say the biggest event there's obviously, you know, it's funny. I, people always say in their professions, it's like, you know, this is our Super Bowl, right? Or this day is our point. Super Bowl. It's a whole other thing when you wake up and it is the Super Bowl. <laughs> you know? yeah. I kind of had that thought cruising over the stadium. It's like, oh, no, this is the Super Bowl. There's going to be a hundred million plus people watching. Uh, you can't really wrap your brain around that. So you just got to lock in on what you're doing. All right, this last one before we get into some rapid-fire questions. It's a little personal to me. Uh, I'm from Louisville. You're from Northern Kentucky. You understand what the Kentucky Derby means to the people in the Commonwealth. And you had the opportunity to serve as a reporter for NBC's coverage of the event in 2021. What was that like? Uh, Another one that is is very different, because I've been to the Kentucky Derby a lot, right? For for you, it's probably right next door. For us, Mm -hmm. it's right down the road. It's about an hour or something, maybe a little hour and some change to get yeah. down there but we would go often i mean a lot of my high school buddies went to louisville so we'd go down there and hang out with all their college friends and then walk into the derby i've done the infield of you know seems like a hundred times and i've gone up in the stands and we've watched horse racing my whole life dad's loved horse racing forever so we've kind of been a horse racing uh family so that one was probably one of my favorite events that i've ever done that the Indy 500, super unique. The Super Bowl, something I'll never forget, was a third. Were you at the one in, uh, Luke, what was it, 2019? We were both there, and it was a monsoon. Were you at that one? Yeah. yeah. I was. I absolutely was. <laughs> I think that was a. Um, that was probably maybe my last time going as just a, a pure fan and just enjoying it. You uh, know? That kind of sucks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was- yeah. But honestly, we – we had a great day, man. We had, I think I had a poncho on and I think we started about 10 AM and I think we went well past the final race. So, I mean, it was a lot of good memories. I never let a little rain stop a good time, man. All right. Let's get to some rapid fire here. Um, we got four questions left before we let you go. First one, what's the most memorable sporting event outside of the Super Bowl that you've ever been to or covered? I would go to the Clemson Notre Dame game, the nighttime game 
under the lights, Davo Sweeney coming into town. That would be that one for me. All right. What's the hardest class you took as a student at Notre Dame? Whew. Man. Probably finance. One of those finance classes. I took a calculus class that was pretty darn tough. A history of television class, I remember, was one that I was thinking would be pretty easy. And and there is no such thing as an easy class at Notre Dame. They make you work for everything. So a few of those. I probably would have to lean towards the finance, though. Okay, what's your favorite spot on campus? Favorite spot? I can look at the Golden Dome all day long. I mean, I can just stare at that thing, but I would probably have to go to the grotto. That's that's a place where you can connect with something that is uh, outside of your body. All right, and now the recurring question that we ask every Notre Dame alum who comes on this show, what's the weirdest thing you ever saw at Club Fever or on a night out in South Bend in general? The weirdest thing. I think I saw Manti Teo one time. I can remember being like, damn. That's really Manti Teo. And then I got to know him a little bit after that. But when I first got up there, just being around my brother who was on the team, I looked at Manti like he was a god. It was like, man, Manti Teo. I think we all remember that season, that defense, the run to the national championship, and there was no bigger figure in college football than Manti. Uh, but I remember seeing him out, and that's that's a visual I'll never forget. And it was right by fever. Yeah, he's been in the news a little bit lately. <laughs> Have you guys watched it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. What do you think? I think it's the real story is what I think. And at the time, um, I feel like I knew that. I mean, this this predates the catfish TV show and people talking about catfishing like they understood it. Um, this this was way back, you know, and and Manti was one of those people that he's just a pure soul and he was always trying to help people. And I think probably at Notre Dame, he was in an entirely new environment that he had never been somewhere quite like that. And so he found a connection or so he thought online and, and to see the story told now, I, it just feels like it was the right time to tell it. And a lot of people are saying, I wish you had done it earlier or whatever, but I think there's a greater sense of understanding uh, now and listening to Swarbrick explain it, man, is he, he has a way with words. I thought he was, he was phenomenal in that, in that whole deal. Without a doubt. Jack Collinsworth, the new voice of Notre Dame football on NBC this fall. Thanks so much for taking the time, man. We really appreciate it, and best of luck this season. Appreciate you guys, man. Thanks for having me. And that was Jack Collinsworth, the voice of Notre Dame football on NBC. Um, really enjoyed that conversation. He obviously seems very jacked up to have this job. And, uh, yeah, I just thought that was a really insightful conversation to hear about what draws him to the booth and sort of how excited he is to get this thing kicked off. What did you think? I thought it was really good. I thought one of the more interesting parts of that was when he was telling us about how all the different things that him and Jason Garrett have done, how they've been calling these demo games, whether it be old Notre Dame games, I think he mentioned the Super Bowl. So they haven't really had that much experience in the booth for live action outside of the USFL, but clearly they've known about this for a while, which is a whole nother conversation, and they've been preparing for it. No, definitely. I, I thought his characterization of Garrett was interesting, too, um, just because, I mean, I think I said this on our last episode, when you think of Jason Garrett, I don't think he really seems like a guy who has a ton of personality, um, but obviously hearing that from Jack firsthand, a guy who spent a ton of time with him, sounds like he, he does get along with a lot of people and, and has a really good job of just maintaining that human connection. So it'll be interesting to see how that comes through on the broadcast this year and, and see if Irish fans um, end up enjoying this 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 tandem and, and seeing you know what they can do together this fall. 
Yeah, I think another clear thing from just talking to Jack there was he understands sort of the stakes here. The pre- I mean, he went to Notre Dame. He understands the brand more than anyone. But he, he's going into this knowing, like, okay, this is a very big opportunity, and I think he's going to do really well with it. But I already mentioned it. Why the hell did NBC wait for so long to announce it? I, I mean, we're just going to speculate here, but what do you think it was? I think they were more worried about figuring out if they're going to get the Big Ten. That That is a <laughs> big deal. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I don't know, but like, I'm sure that they had their, their attention focused elsewhere is kind of my point. Yeah, I mean, that could definitely be the case. And maybe they were still trying to figure out what the situation was with Mike Tirico. And clearly, Mike Tirico has had a really strong influence on Jack. And I mean, how could he not? It seems like every broadcast that Mike does, whether it be Notre Dame, Toledo, or the damn Super Bowl, it doesn't matter. He's going to be unbelievable. And that tribute video that Notre Dame put out a couple of days ago, uh, just sort of thanking him for the past few years being the play-by-play, it was pretty... uh, like I watched that and I felt all the feels just hearing some of his best calls, the memorable moment. Um, I guess while we're on the topic, do you have a particular favorite from Trico? Cause I've got one at the top of my head. Yeah, I think it's actually from his first season on it and it's Josh Adams just busting a big one against USC. And he's like, he's got so many great runs this year. Here's another one. That one sticks out. I mean, there's a lot, but that one definitely sticks out just because that was an ass kicking that night as well. <laughs> Yeah, we've said it before, the most fun game we've ever been to in person at Notre Dame Stadium. Well, at least that's mine. Is that still yours, or did 2020 Notre Dame Clemson take over? Yeah, I think that took the top spot. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's just it's weird because the crowd was in full. It has that like weird factor. If, that, if the fans were like at capacity and it wasn't in a COVID year, it'd be obviously a lot different. But we'll get to see that this year. For me, uh, I got to go with the Chris Fink one. Oh, first of all, that catch was like right in front of me where I was sitting for that game. Um, I was lower level right on the end zone line. So when he made that play, it was unbelievable. And then I watched it back over and over uh, after the game and listening to Tariko even saying he mossed him. I feel like you don't really hear that kind of talk on a broadcast that often. No, definitely not. Well, hopefully this year, uh, best of luck to Collinsworth and Garrett. You know, it's a, it's a pretty important gig for these two guys, but it sounds like Jack understands the pressure here. And uh, it's going to be great, uh, at least for me, because I'm going to be the one watching all these games. You're going to be in the crowd. Um, but before we go, do you have anything else you want to add? No, that's pretty much it. All right. That'll do it for this episode of Sons of Saturday. Thanks again to Jack for joining us. And thank you guys for listening or watching from wherever you are. Please hit that subscribe button if you haven't already. And check out our social media channels at Sons of Sat Irish. Uh, we'll be back again in just a few days for our preview of Notre Dame season opener against Ohio State. Can't wait. Talk to you soon.